0: To the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy.
1: We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 62, recorded on March 4th, 2020. The Cloud Pod automatically redacted. Good evening, Jonathan. How's it going?
0: It is great, Justin. I'm thoroughly enjoying tongue in cheek working on the PowerShell again for this week. <laughs>
1: Yeah, are you is that, is that coming to a close soon? I hope.
0: I hope so. And towards the end of the show, we'll we'll have the uh, uh, the bullshit that I learned this week section, all about PowerShell.
1: Oh, excellent, sounds great. For those of you who have not followed at uh, ryron one you are now out of luck because he is here to guest host because Peter is off in Mexico. Uh, so hi Ryan, how's it going? Pretty well. Thanks how's, for having uh, me. How is that Twitter follower handle going? Oh, I am.
2: I am beside myself with the amount of followers that I now have and I still have no content to post on Twitter to entertain them, which is the most frustrating part. Pressure. The pressure. What will you say first? What will you say? I'm caving. It's hilarious. But hopefully I will get there and be entertaining.
1: Yeah. So you you gained a healthy 12 additional followers. So you're welcome. Yeah. I believe that's exactly doubled. Exactly doubled. So, I mean, we did exactly what we said we would do, which is great. Yeah. you know, I'm a little disappointed in the other, you know, thousands of listeners that download our show every month who didn't follow you, but that's okay. I'm <laughs> not. T- that was the wise choice. <laughs> we should be more concerned about the
0: 12 that did. They they checked out the picture. Well, those other people, they checked out the picture and they saw the yeah. picture and they're like, I'm not going to go near
2: the sky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will say, though, that uh, the sticker is well
1: worth it. I Yes, I, uh, I finally have the envelopes for the stickers and, and the surprise gift for those who signed up, and I will be sending them in the mail by this weekend for sure. And I have to send them to far-off well places like Israel and Australia and many places around the world. So you know, the global reach is here, but uh, it now means I have to pay more in postage, so that was <laughs> unplanned for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty cool, it's though. Okay. It's, 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 it's cool to hear that you have you know, so many different places. Have yeah, it's pretty awesome. I like to watch the, uh, the download charts. It shows all the countries we have downloads from and it's neat. We have a very global global audience and we thank every one of them out there. Well, uh, we did have our second episode of TCP talks uh, released. Uh, Rob Martin, who's the cloud FinOps practitioner with CloudAbility, uh, told us all about the FinOps foundation and educated us on things about FinOps, how to reduce your costs in the cloud. And that's a great, fantastic interview. Uh, that is out there. And then we have another one coming out here the next uh, week or so. should hopefully be out by the time this episode drops uh, with Ben Kehoe. Uh, so do check out uh, TCB Talks number two and number three, uh, which will be out by the time this episode drops, which is great. Uh, and then this week, I was actually on a panel at uh, the Aviatrix Altitude Conference. It was an online panel uh, that basically, you know, they talked to us about multi-cloud architecture and networking. Aviatrix, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a a cloud networking provider that basically created Transit Gateway before Amazon did. And then Amazon, you know, Sherlock them at <laughs> reInvent a couple years ago, and they now pivoted into a multi-cloud uh, networking solution provider. And they actually have a lot of really cool features and tools if you're looking for something in that space. Um, check it out. Maybe they'll maybe they'll sponsor us in the future. But um, I was on the panel, and uh, I talked about multi-cloud architecture and, and networking challenges, and uh, the, their entire thing is out online, and we have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to watch it, it's actually pretty good. Uh, they didn't do any PowerPoint. It was all customer, t- uh, customer talk and Gartner, and uh, it was quite enjoyable. Uh, but my panel is at the 51-minute mark. If you don't want to watch the whole thing, it's about 15 to 20 minutes long, uh, and you can enjoy listening to me. Uh, Talk more if you like listening to me now. So there you Come go. Come on, get on with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a cab, basically, for people who aren't even customers.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not really a cab because they weren't like asking me for features or what I don't like about their product. But, uh, you know, they were definitely, you know, lots of good customers. And uh, I, lo- I met a lot of really fantastic networking engineers. Um, who are doing some really cool stuff in the cloud. It was great to talk to them at lunch and during the hallway track. So really exciting stuff. Maybe we'll get some of them uh, on the show on TCP Talks to talk about their architecture a little bit because uh, some people are doing some really interesting things with networking in the cloud, which is super exciting. Wait, a hallway track for an online conference? Well, so, <laughs> if, <laughs> Hang on. so there's, two parts, there's two parts to it. So <laughs> if you were local to the Bay, you could go to San Jose and you could see the conference in person. Uh, and be part of it in as a live studio audience, and then they also broadcast it as a live webcast to the world. And so they had about uh, they said there's about maybe 200 people in the room, and they had about 750 on the live stream. They said so, you know, pretty pretty awesome. Oh, cool. Hopefully those people are new listeners too because uh, they, they saw my bio and that I was a host of the Club Pod. Maybe they maybe they're tuning in this week. Let's get on to the new news of the week. Gartner's Magic Quadrant uh, has a new quadrant. It's for the Cloud AI Developer Services. Uh, these are tools, think like uh, SageMaker or Kendra, CodeGuru, BigQuery, Bigtable, uh, anything in the ML AI tooling space. And so they have released this new Magic Quadrant. Of course, as you might expect, Amazon is the first in the top right uh, corner location, followed closely by Azure and Google. Uh, this is not like the public cloud one where Amazon is many miles ahead of the other two. They're all are very close to each other uh, with really interesting capabilities and features. They mentioned a couple of things why Amazon was on top of the list. Uh, their wide, broad, and capable AI portfolio with high visibility in the business and consumer sectors. Amazon's offerings caters those with and without ML skills uh, with 30 digital training courses available as well as things like Deep Lens and Deep Racer. And they said some of the things that you should be worried about are, of course, uh, complexity of AWS, limited features in SageMaker when they evaluate it, and of course, the cost of cloud, uh, maybe more than you expect. And then for Azure, who is in the lovely second place, uh, they mentioned that uh, they're one of the few cloud providers that has both a symbolic and sub-symbolic approach to MLAI. Uh, They have some of the most flexible deployment models, uh, allowing you to use Azure VPC and on-premise, and the largest selection of languages for natural language services. Uh, on the cautionary side, they don't have NLG services yet, but they are on the roadmap. Uh, Microsoft can be challenging to engage with, and they really uh, ding them for the fact that they don't work directly with enterprises and that you must go through a partner. I was really
0: surprised that Google wasn't either first or second place. I mean, they're all pretty close. And so I kind of question the, um, the math that goes into actually calculating these things a little bit. But I was surprised that it wasn't Google in second.
1: Yeah, it's very subjective, yeah. <laughs> and also very pay-for-play. I think in many ways, although that's they tell you it's not. Uh, but I, I did, it was interesting to me that uh, you know the first one of the three cloud providers to get this out in the news was Google, who you know, put this all over their Twitter and all over their news feeds. Followed by AWS uh, with a Jeff Behrle blog post. That then Azure hasn't even gotten it out in the news cycle yet. So you know, Azure in the number two spot. like, yeah, we'll talk about that eventually.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess they don't have to because. Uh Google and AWS have already just publicized the hell out of this thing, and you can see Microsoft's name right there in the top right. So.
1: Yeah, well, and and, you know, you had to pay for the ability to publish this to your clients. So, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if you, they'll let you post like the picture of the magic quadrant and the very high level description of the magic quadrant, Uh, but if you want to post, you know, if you want to share all the cautionary and all the strengths and weaknesses of all the other players and all that, that you had to typically pay for a download rate license to that. That's why typically it's behind a uh, form, which I filled out uh, for Amazon. So they have the most money to pay. So
0: that's interesting. I I guess um, if if it's anything like this. SQL Server uh, benchmarks that were done a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Azure will have their own Gartner Magic Quadrant, which shows them on top in just a couple of weeks' time.
1: <laughs> is that is that what the Forrester Wave is? I think no, it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here on uh, Google's side, though, you, you mentioned their third. Um, They did talk about strength-wise, that they have some of the best OCR capabilities. uh, And strong text-to-speech, as well as the image recognition, is the only one that can be deployed in a VPC or on-premises, as it is a containerized application. And they did mention that AutoML has several smart features, including the ability to uh, identify missing data cardinality and distribution uh, uh, for each feature in a data set. Uh, Some of the cautions on this was that it is uh, very specific to the Google Cloud Platform with other than the vision capabilities. And they have a lower market share and has struggled execute on sales in this space, which I'm sure TK is mad about. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm still desperately trying to Google what symbolic and sub symbolic approach to machine learning and AI is.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll let you get back on that. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can let base later in the show on what those are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, magic quadrants always uh, you know trying to expand out. And so this is a new one if you're paying them a lot of money for their input and advice. Uh, actually, they had their cloud network expert uh, at the aviatrix event. Uh, He talked a little bit about what he's seeing as trends in that space. So the Gartner is definitely doing a lot more things in this space. I do expect to see a network magic quadrant, a cloud networking magic quadrant come out sometime in the future as well. So expect to see more of these. I don't know if we'll cover all of them, but this is definitely... Uh, coming this way on to amazon uh features Uh, the now available in amazon transcribe automatic redaction of personally identifiable information of course transcribe is an automated service that converts audio files to text Uh, we have tried to use it here at the cloud pod many time with mixed success uh, mostly because We just haven't had the time to deal with it. But uh, one of the popular use cases, apparently, is the automatic transcription for customer calls. Uh, This is for call centers, telemarketing, debt collectors, et cetera, in order to build data sets for downstream analytics and natural language processing tasks such as sentiment analysis. Uh, Because of PI data that may be in the call, these use cases could be difficult to solve GPDR, data privacy, or PCI compliance issues. And so this week, Amazon Transcribe now supports automatic redaction of PI data, including social security number, credit card, debit card, Bank account number, debit credit pin, name, email address, phone number, and mailing address. Uh, they'll be replaced with a PII tag in the transcribed text, and this is available to you uh, right now in any sort, any region that PII or the transcribe is available uh, for the low low cost of point zero 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 four per second cents per second, or uh, to make it easy, two hundred minutes will cost you forty eight cents.
0: Wow, that's that sounds cheap, but on top of the cost of transcribing, it's it's still fairly expensive, I guess. Um, I, I mean it's it's cool technology, but surely these companies who are already dealing with PII in their databases and in their other systems have controls in place to regulate access to this type of information. So
2: why why is the transcription any more um, at risk? I don't know if it's the transcription that's more, it's it's what the data is going to be used for downstream. So one of the challenges for doing machine learning and stuff is, is actually tuning those models, and it's typically a very hands-on process. And so because you have to a, be hands-on the data, there's a lot of risk for data loss and data filtration. So it might be just sort of a protection along those lines.
0: Oh, cool. And there's a good reason we bring you here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud Pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier-tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud, under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod.
1: Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, for those of you who are using the AWS Global Accelerator and had the dream of using your own IP addresses, uh, you can now do that. Uh, with the BOIP, you can bring your slash 24 network uh, right to the edge of Amazon's network. Uh, this allows you to reuse previously whitelisted IP addresses without making client-facing changes. So for all of you out there who are using some type of IP whitelisting, which is not good security, uh, that is now available to still use your old IP address when you move to the cloud. So uh, that's a plus in some cases. Uh, this uh, is also allows you to assign tags to the accelerators, and by adding these tags, you can allocate costs to specific accelerators as well as control access to your accelerator via those tags. Uh, so that's a great couple of features there for the global accelerator, or as we like to call it here, Anycast. I do like the tagging. Um,
2: being able to allocate costs per, per accelerator by tags is a really neat feature, and that that model needs to be for more commonplace, I think, for some of these services.
0: This actually solves a problem which... Google already solved, and I I mentioned this to, to the uh, VPC guys in the, in our um, EBC at reInvent last year, um, in that you can now have an, an, an Anycast slash 24, but you can actually route that the, the the traffic entering those IPs to any data center anywhere in the world. So it, uh, previously to bring your own IP to, to a region was, was limited to a slash 24 for a whole region, but now with Anycast you can kind of shoehorn in uh just using parts of those of that range for a particular region and parts for a different region in in a more fine grained um level than um, a whole slash twenty four per region so you could have you know sixteen addresses for oregon sixteen for Virginia, and then you know the rest for someplace else it has so it's, it's kind of useful on many levels
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was just I just saying Ryan Brian anything more to add, oh yeah no all right. <laughs> <Am> I- <laughs> I mean, I definitely think as we get more and more to the edge computing, the need for this is kind of relevant anyways. So for IoT and a lot of different use cases, the ability to have this single set of IP addresses that are globally available and then route to the local regions, it's, it's a pretty powerful feature. I see a lot of use cases for this. Yeah,
0: I've, I've yet to see a cloud native application that relies on IP whitelisting. And so I, I, I assume that, that features like this where you can bring in an IP space to preserve rules that people already have in place is just all about
1: enabling cloud migration. You you haven't seen a solution that does that, or a SaaS solution that requires IP whitelisting?
2: Well, something that was built in the cloud. Something was right? built you, for you the cloud. Oh, yeah, oh.
1: yeah built yeah, in the cloud used, cloud, natively, not really. Yeah,
2: you do see this a lot for like manufacturing metrics and stuff like that, which I you know, which I guess is IoT. Um, you know, it's these things that are kind of legacy, maybe non-sophisticated industries as far as like computers and technology and networks go, and so it's this is you know, you have IT security experts kind of. At manning the gates, and these are the types of rules you see.
1: I mean, it, it adds something, but it's so easy to spoof IP addresses. I just don't see it adds a lot of additional security. Amazon is uh, apparently planning to double the size of the sales team as Microsoft and Google uh, threatens them in their growth. Uh, this competition has slowed their sales growth over the last couple of quarters. We've talked about that here many times on our earnings call. Or. Weekly reports. Uh, AW plans to double the size of its current sales team this year. And the hiring spree announced sale- at the sales kickoff in Chicago in mid January will go toward hiring salespeople that have deep technical knowledge in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and data analytics. Uh, the specialists will work in tandem with an existing generalist Amazon sales staff to close large corporate deals, answering tech questions, and speeding up the sales process. Um, Amazon has previously leveraged this model, uh, but this is a very much more widespread rollout of that. Uh, a potential flaw in this model, though, is that a customer may get confused between dealing with multiple salespeople. Uh, and the first major sales makeover AWS has ever undertaken uh, in several years.
0: So I guess, are they more like sales engineers because they're they're, they're targeted to a specific
1: service? No, they're typically like... so. Uh, In our day jobs, we have a salesperson who is a generalist, and she's fantastic. And then we have a salesperson who specializes in ML AI already today. And so he's basically uh, having sales conversations with different people in the organization than the generalist is having. Uh, They work together in tandem, but um, those conversations are sometimes different or or have a different need. But they're they're not typically – they are typically more well-versed in the capabilities of the technology they have or covering – but I would not call them to the point of solutions engineer level. Mm, fair enough.
0: I wonder if this is really more, I, mean, I know they're talking about as Microsoft looms in the article, but uh, you know, clearly Google are going all in on sales recently. I, I kind of feel like it's more of a, a response to that than the Microsoft thing, but I, I still think they're missing the, 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 the low-hanging fruit of get some salespeople who can work with the people who pay you less than $10,000 a month because those, those are people who could grow into the big corporations of the future.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. In the article, they talked about growth uh, having previously come from building new services, as opposed to dramatically increasing the size of the sales team to encourage the adoption. Uh, but I agree with you. I think you know features are one thing, but you know if if everyone's going to Kubernetes and the best Kubernetes platform is still seen as Google, then that's a little bit harder to fight. And so the, you need those salespeople to maybe go have this discussion at the C level. Uh, sea level to really start swaying some of these conversations when they're not being developer led. Uh, and you know, one of the big discussions at Chicago, apparently in this article was that AWS of us did not have enough salespeople to cover its customer base. Uh, and they also want to increase the diversity of their sales organization as well. So I think, uh, I think We'll probably see a lot of changes in this space, uh, especially for small clients as well as for bigger clients, uh, and we'll see if it works. I mean, I think it it has challenges. I've seen Microsoft where they have you know a million salespeople all tied to different products, verticals, trying to go into an account that's very confusing. So as long as that generalist AWS salesperson in the bigger accounts has control over all of that, that'd probably be just fine.
2: I've seen this work very effectively, but it does take a lot of coordination, a lot of acting as a team. But it is nice, you know, for, I assume, for a sales generalist to be able to, like, basically bring in that specialist if there's a question. And it, it it's a good customer experience when you're on the other side asking questions. And, you know, like, it's okay to po- call on an expert, right? So and Yeah, it's great. and
1: I, I think there's... There's a time and a place where a certain type of salesperson makes sense, right? Like I, you know, we've had experiences where we've had a vendor come in and talk to our security team, right? And then we've had a security company come and talk to the same team about basically the same solution and just the language used, the way they talk because there are security security specialist salespeople versus non-security specialist people is pretty dramatic. So I think there is benefit for having people who understand the language and can turn that language into sales speak. Um, there is value to that proposition. Just as a generalist, more in my line of work is I don't care about that. <laughs> I just want you to sell the product to the people who need it and get it out of my way. Uh, but there are people who need that higher touch and that higher language communication level. Well, we'll see how the uh, the sales revamp goes for AWS here in the next year. And, and hopefully it gets better. Uh, introducing the new AWS Config multi-account, multi-region support for Advanced Query. Uh, last year, of course, they released Advanced Query for uh, single account, which made it easy to query resource configuration properties of your Amazon resources for auditing, compliance, and operational troubleshooting using simple SQL-like queries. Uh, now with this launch, you can use the advanced query with configuration aggregators enable you to run the same queries across accounts and regions. Uh, this provides an easy mechanism to query your entire AWS footprint from a central account and get relevant information. A couple use case examples here. Uh, using the query ability to you can retrieve a list of EC2 instances of a particular size, uh, EBS volumes not attached to EC2 or resources that have encryption disabled, across multiple accounts uh, and aggregators can't be provisioned very simply from using the console.
2: This is really really a fantastic re- uh, announcement just because if you're doing a multi or multi-region strategy and you're trying to go figure out what has changed, you know, across a large swath of, you know, a EC2 fleet or something like that, having to run a separate query across all the different regions you operate in is is kind of a nightmare. Um, especially if you're still sort of in fact, finding mode, like you're, you don't really know what you're looking for yet. You just sort of have an idea and you're trying to structure that query. It can be very complicated. So centralizing this is, is going to be very useful for a lot of teams when they're trying to track down what changed and, and audit, you know, you know, providing audit evidence and that kind of thing. So this is fantastic.
0: It's really funny. I remember as always, maybe a couple of years after I got into using AWS, I saw a plugin, open source plugin for Postgres which would actually go go away and query your Amazon account information. And you could you could literally uh, describe a table and select things from a table. And on the back end, the, the database engine would go away and make the queries, make the API calls to AWS and return the data as rows in the table. And so pretty much what they've done is just reproduce that functionality, which is now probably 10 years old. So it's about time.
2: Kind of disappointed that they didn't roll a lot more of these features
0: out with organizations.
2: It's also like pulling these things into a centralized account where you can do multi-region stuff you know, centrally is something that they're sort of new to. You see a lot of their services kind of going that way. You know, um, control tower, um, some of the, the CloudWatch dashboards now you can you can query centrally. So it is it's it is sort of like a I think it's a pivot from their previous strategy of very heavy separation between regions. And I think that they sort of we're getting a little bit of competition from Google and Azure who have a little easier flow when it comes to your, your regions and your multi-account strategy. You mean, uh, the, you mean the global
1: VPC I can have globally? <laughs> One VPC yeah. to rule them all? Yes, yeah. <laughs> for I'm, example.
0: I, I, I think the, the fact that Control Tower only works with, with new accounts and that you can't migrate accounts into it, it probably tells us something about changes that they made around account management on uh, you know, their management layer. To support things yeah. like these new features.
1: Well, it was interesting actually. Um, I was stalking somebody on Twitter, and they started talking about um, you know their migration to Control Tower and how excited they were about this particular feature launch. And and I realized that they he had basically migrated his organization from an old organization to a new organization with Control Tower. And I was really pushing him, like, well, what was your what was the benefit of that like what did you get out of it that made it worthwhile he kind of came back and said well i got all these things and i'm like well you but you had all those things they were just harder to do <laughs> uh for various reasons so very very interesting challenge
0: i was just bitter because we spent hours or weeks in you know, <laughs> building these solutions
2: which are now years, of
0: people who, years. Who, yeah exactly three four years <laughs> yeah and then now out of the box of people who didn't adopt the cloud sooner <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is sort of like, I, it's one of those things that I, I've, I not fear of missing out, but I, I really wish I could adopt it or at least have a path to go forward to adopt it, you know, so, but I, it's really difficult if you have an existing um, deployment and especially if you have lots of accounts to, to roll this in without having, creating two separate processes. Like it's it's virtually impossible. And yeah, the things you get, like being able to launch, you know, a, a, an account in a very, you know, organized, governed Pre-configured way is really nice, but you know it just doesn't add a ton of value for you know on top of the automation I already have, and so there's very little unless you're brand new to AWS. I just don't see the advantage.
0: So what what does it do for you? I mean, uh, apart from being a, an account provisioner, what, what 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 does it bring exactly?
2: Well, you know the the next headline is you know AWS Control Tower now supports single step account provisioning. So may as well go right into that. So it makes account creation into your org very easy and simple. Um, so if you have a multi-account strategy and you're, you're separating out your workloads by business line or application or product team, um, managing those accounts is a lot simpler. And you can predefine what those accounts look like as far as governance rules. And so you can, you can you know, the automation that ensures that CloudTrail is enabled, the automation that ensures that, you know, EOBs have access logging enabled, you know, some of these things I'm not, you know, like, or are controllable and settable via Control Tower. Um, I think also there is, a there's, there is like, UI enhancements that allow easier, like, launching of cloud formation templates and stack sets across accounts. I think that they sort of built that into Control Tower. Um, so, yeah, largely it's all stuff you can do some other way, but... It's just sort of, I think this is feedback that, you know, multi-account strategy was very difficult in Amazon. So this is their answer.
0: Oh, definitely. It would be so nice to be able to essentially say you cannot launch these types of instances in these accounts or always configure ELBs to do this or always, you know, always have these policies in place, you know, always use TLS 1.3 without giving people the option to... Not select those things. It would, be, it would make it would make uh, you know SOC control, SOC compliance, so much easier.
2: Well, but that's the that's exactly I think part of the the hang up I have with it is that it the the stuff it allows you to do only goes so far, right? So I, anything I can control with an SCP and am permission restrictions, I can control with with Control Tower, but I don't think I can set the approved ELB security. Um, what, what you might call it, for ELBs, like the policies. Yeah. I think that that is still something I would have to automate outside of that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, so one of my feature requests for for CloudFormation is that they add that kind of layer of, of, of control between the template you upload and what they actually deploy.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's other technologies like HatchyCorp Sentinel and stuff that's, that's getting closer, but it's still very difficult to do... Before launch, it's, you know, it's still very much a reactive control that you have to have in place to go detect something is not in compliance and go fix it.
0: I, one thing I, I sort of thought was interesting about the, the Control Tower accounts is that all the accounts provisioned th- through Control Tower have the same root email address. Um, and up until now, we've been very reliant on different accounts having different email addresses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, it's definitely some fundamental changes they've made to the, the structure of accounts on the back end.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it goes, you know, one of the things, any account that you've provisioned through Control Tower, you can't really make changes to it like you used to, like logging into Root to go update contact information, all that stuff. Like none of that is is applicable to those created accounts. You have to do that through Control Tower. So I think it is another indication that there's a lot of changes on the back end that they had to make.
1: Uh, NoSQL Workbench for Amazon DynamoDB has uh, lost its beta tag and gained a latest tag or is now generally available. Uh, The NoSQL Workbench is a client-side app available for Windows and macOS that we talked about on the show previously. Uh, This lets developers build scalable, high-performance data models and simplify query development and testing. Uh, You can build these new data models from scratch or import and modify existing models. And they can visualize this data model based on their application access patterns and export the model in several different formats. Uh, there's also several query development features to make sure you build uh, good queries and also you can use this with a local instance of the downloadable version of dynamo db and modify it with your workbench there is no additional cost for this feature so thank you aws
0: awesome i think more the more dev yeah. tools like this the better because um with with new technology comes new problems and and it costs a lot of money dynamo db can be very expensive and uh, giving you access to do these things locally and make all the mistakes locally before you start spending money in the cloud is, is always great.
2: And DynamoDB queries aren't exactly, you know, the easiest to construct either. Like if you're doing, you know, something maybe that you shouldn't be with, you know, a NoSQL, you know, it's not a relational database, but, uh, you know, like it's something I've definitely struggled with. I'm also sort of a, a noob when it comes to some of that stuff. So, But yeah, so this, is, this would be very handy to just... Be able to design that and put that into an application. Yeah, I kind of like
0: it if they they built some kind of. Uh, I mean, there's blog posts, there's various things around around Dynamo DB, but I think they really should have like an intro to DynamoDB and this is how you build queries and this this is how you start using our our ecosystem because. Mm-hmm. It, you're right, it is pretty difficult. And and building your first DymoDB query, even even for the tutorial, you know the uh, the the uh, the, the C D collection or whatever their tutorial is <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's um
2: it's very unintuitive. Yeah. Anything short of the matrix plug to the back of the head is gonna be a little you know, <laughs> like that's what I need for this. We need like God. the the, the, uh, the Microsoft Access
0: Northwind database for uh DymoDB. <laughs> Remember that from, like, 1995 or something?
1: (laughs) I think they still have the Northwind database. Do they really? Wow. I think uh, think you actually install it with your SQL server automation you're working on. (laughs) I'm going to
0: troll you (laughs) by just doing that now. (laughs) Nice,
1: nice. Uh, Yeah, it is interesting how DynamoDB... You know, it's one of the very first databases a lot of uh, engineers try to use in Amazon when they're looking at native ones. It's, you know, back before Document DB with MongoDB compatibility, it was really your only NoSQL option. And NoSQL was a big thing. So everyone would go rush, go try to do DynamoDB, and they'd write a terrible query, and it wouldn't perform and have all these problems. And they'd be like, well, DynamoDB doesn't work. And I'm like, well, it does, but it's going to take more than this 20 minutes of la- of reading you did to write a query that's actually going to perform the way you think it should. And then it's only gotten worse with things like global indexes and, and global tables. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think there's opportunities for more education in the DynamoDB space. Well, moving on to our good friends at Google. Uh, so first of all, they had some uh, some positive news. They opened their new data center in Salt Lake City. This was previously announced last year, and apparently their engineers like to ski. And so if they're going to go work on a data center, they also want to go skiing. And so that is now available to them. This is the third region in the Western United States for Google, and the sixth nationally and the 22nd globally. Uh, And Google highlighted the large number of tech-savvy customers in the Salt Lake City area and its great adoption. Uh, A great addition to the Los Angeles and Oregon regions. Uh, Services include Compute Engine, GKE, Bigtable, Spanner, BigQuery, and all the normal friends, as well as the cloud interconnect services. And Las Vegas will be their next region coming later this year. So we'll let you know when that happens. Which actually is kind of interesting because that'll be four regions on the West Coast uh, when Las Vegas opens, or at least the West Coast. Yeah. I don't know why they feel they need such a concentration on the West Coast. Uh, and the east coast like that but that's what they're doing
2: and i can't imagine that like power and cooling in las vegas is cheap and it's so, very you know, close
1: like, to the hoover dam it's actually very cheap that's why, is it really that, that is why vegas is there <laughs> oh <laughs> no, then never mind shows you what i know yeah, I, yeah you can actually uh i reinvent this year you can actually go take a tour of the hoover dam if you want to
2: <laughs> i always think about doing stuff at Revent, but it's always so freakishly cold <laughs> is, i usually find true.
1: somewhere that's warm so i can drink you know you know where i won't be for your, i will not not be feverishly cold in november you will because sure i'll be in the caribbean so enjoying myself as you guys all do the reinvent thing yeah <laughs> as we're freezing yeah
2: trying to like lug our gear from the uh you know the, the expo floor about- I'll
0: be
1: hurting my liver in a whole new way.
0: (laughs) My my first experience in Vegas was um, staying there for a couple of nights before going to Grand Canyon to, to hike the Grand Canyon. And I stayed up all night in the casino, drinking free beer while playing video poker, spending way too much money. And then I think I got about half an hour's sleep before we drove. I didn't drive. My wife drove to uh to the the top of a a trail the grand canyon and then we walked 14 miles to the bottom of the canyon (laughs) that was that was the most memorable hike i think i've ever had
2: (laughs) (laughs) surprised you didn't just tune that out that's (laughs) oh no
0: that's a lesson you only learn once
1: (laughs) well that's a one i would i don't want to learn that one Well, uh, unfortunately, Google has decided to cancel Google Next. Uh, It was coming up here April 6th through the 8th uh, in Moscone Center in San Francisco. But uh, due to the uh, outbreak of coronavirus and the fears around that, they are turning it into an online-only digital conference called Google Cloud Next 20 colon Digital Connect. Uh, If you have previously purchased a ticket to Google Next, uh, you will receive a refund in the next few weeks uh, and registration for digital uh, conference is now open. I registered before the show, uh, and I got a lovely email saying that I'm uh, confirmed that I'm going to Google Cloud Next 20 Digital Connect. So I don't know actually know where I'm going, but that's what the email tells me, and uh, we will see. But uh, you know, I, I kind of took this time off work uh, to cover it for the Cloud Pod, and I have two free days to go somewhere, and enjoy watching the live streams from a maybe a warm location somewhere. So we should talk about that. We'll yeah, figure out where we're, out where we're all going to go hang out for a couple of days. The Cloud Pod goes on, you know, a field trip. Yeah. Exactly, and we can we can live stream our commentary of uh, TK. It was
0: Just the, the irony, though. I, I, I just wait for something terrible to happen. Like we, we'd all go together to some some cabin someplace to get some time away and watch the keynotes together, and we'd all end up with the flu or something horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we yes, will have we plastic. will have mandatory
1: testing before you enter the cabin, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's a it's it's a pretty big loss for uh, you know Google to not have their big conference. But you know, if you think about who they want to attract to a conference of this type, you know, it's a lot of international travelers, a lot of Asia Pacific travelers, uh, where particularly the virus is quite bad, and so I definitely see why this uh, has resulted in this being canceled. Uh, Before recording today, we also saw that the Amazon Sydney Summit has been canceled, uh, and it's still unclear if the San Francisco Amazon Summit will be canceled or not, as well as things like uh, Reignite and uh, all the other conferences that Amazon has planned for April. So keep an eye on the news. If you're planning to go to these things, they may be canceled or postponed. Uh, and that details will be available to you on those websites when they happen. So, Google Cloud Next, unfortunately, not going to happen uh, in person, but we will be able to enjoy three days of, uh, of exciting training uh, online. Wow, well,
0: there's nothing quite like sitting in an office chair for three days watching uh, watching YouTube. But I mean, I, th- I I guess there's obviously a financial loss, but but I think the reputational damage which could happen if if it's found out that you know 500 people contracted a, a horrendous virus at, at a conference at a Google conference, no less. And, uh, and a bunch of people died would be would be quite damaging for them. So I th- they made the right
2: choice. I think it's. I mean, it shows for me it's the responsible thing, right? Because and it's for it reads as a good thing. They're trying to be responsible citizens. They're willing to take the hit financially. You know, let's make all this content. You know, they're putting all the content out there, so they're increasing. I don't know if they're increasing their audience, but they're at least making it available for everyone. So.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose the other the other factor is. I mean, it 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 may be that they simply don't have the staff by by the time april comes around to run the conference effectively you know if if um if the outbreak is as bad as some people think it might be in the next few weeks you know exponential growth exponential spread of a a virus then perhaps they'll be they'll be affected to the point that they couldn't effectively run the conference anyway that's a horrible thought yeah
2: i'm gonna go wash my hands
0: (laughs) (laughs) five
1: times uh, five times a day by singing happy, uh, happy birthday to you. Twice. What twice. You is the, is, the, is twice. the alphabet song
2: yeah. or happy birthday twice? There's a fantastic meme out there, which is like alternatives to sing while washing your hands <laughs> that I've been, going, I've been slowly running through.
0: Most large organizations run six or even more monitoring tools. Each of them uses a mixture of data collection techniques from technology providers, open source communities, or custom integrations. And maintaining dozens of integrations across these tools can be a significant investment. Bloomidora introduces Bindplane, not another monitoring platform, but the industry's first monitoring integration as a service. Bindplane can gather data from over 150 technology data sources spanning your entire organization. Remove or reduce your reliance on expensive monitoring and sim solutions by sending log data to Google Stackdriver, New Relic or Azure Monitor. Check out the extensive list of integrations, all provided at no additional cost. Learn more and sign up for a free trial by visiting Bloomadora.com cloudpod. The link's available in our show notes. And as a bonus for CloudPod listeners, Blue Medora are offering Google Compute Platform credits to help get you started. Buy and plane. Seamlessly stream hybrid cloud and on-premise metric and log data.
1: Well, moving on to our, our next story. Uh, so Google uh, management apparently looked at the cloud ecosystem and said, you know, there's got to be something that we could be doing that Amazon isn't. And I think they found it, and that is they are increasing prices on a cloud service, and that cloud service is GKE. Oh so uh, starting on June 6, 2020, uh, Google Kubernetes Engine clusters will accrue a management fee of $0.10 cents per cluster per hour, irrespective of your cluster size or topology. Uh, you will still be able to get one zonal cluster per billing account, uh, which will be free. And the GKE management fees do not apply if you're already paying the premium for Anthos GKE clusters. And the SLAs will remain at 99.95% for regional and 99.5% for zonal clusters on the stable release channel. Uh, so this is uh, the first cloud provider that I'm aware of that's increased prices directly to a service and not through some other mechanism that doesn't feel like a price increase wow
0: i i just i mean but but it's what a bargain though it's it's free if you're already paying ten thousand dollars a month for anthos
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's so nice of them <laughs> isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i mean for me
2: this just goes just like they're so confident in their market position for kubernetes that they're going to basically hike the price up on this like that's Crazy town for me, because you you can run Kubernetes, it's open source anywhere else you want, and so like yeah, it's not as managed, and there's some other advantages, but this is a this is a oh an interesting turn if you're trying to make yourself the number two cloud provider in the space
1: Well, I, I wonder if this is their admittance that they're not going to make number two, but they're going to be the most profitable number three provider out there. <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh, you know if I was if I was a AWS and I was spiteful and petty. I would potentially drop the price of EKS clusters by two dollars, <laughs> just to bring it. You know, just take that little bit of margin hit, just to bring it just underneath the GKE price, just to kind of and then say, "Hey, we just lowered prices below Google." Uh, that would be my move, but that's just because I am a mean person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How much does yours uh, AKS service cost?
1: Uh, you know, I don't have that off the top of my hand. I'm going to Google it right now. With the power of editing, though, I can I can Google. You can. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I Googled the cost
0: of Azure AKS, the Google, Edison, the Azure managed Kubernetes service. First result that comes up: a yearly cost of forty-two thousand dollars. That can't be right, surely.
1: No, no, no. So I'm I'm, I'm on the Azure, Bing. <laughs> I'm on the Azure Kubernetes Service pricing page, and the very first item is that. Azure Kubernetes Service is a free container service that simplifies the deployment, management, and operations of Kubernetes as a fully managed Kubernetes Container Orchestrator service. Paying for only the virtual machines and associated storage and network resources consumed makes ACS the most efficient and cost effective container service on the market, which now, thanks to Google, is 100% accurate.
0: Well, (laughs) this this is different though. I mean, GKE provides a master, right? And so, and so, the AKS, doesn't do that. They just give you free access to the API that deploys all the stuff that costs you money. That, there's a slight difference in what they're offering.
1: Yeah, it's slightly different, but it, if you want Kubernetes clusters, the same APIs, same kube Kettle, all of that. I guess I scroll down, but the pricing for nodes only pay for what you use and your soul. <laughs> 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 and then those IP addresses, you know, you need to pay for all those. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, you know, definitely an interesting turn of events. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that's the move they decided to make right now, trying to build a lot of market share. Um, you know, funny enough, we, there was a, a recent cost comparison done by someone, and you know, they were telling me how much cheaper Google Kubernetes was because the cluster management was free, and you had to pay for an EKS. And now I can say, well, it's a dollar cheaper. So <laughs> I don't have to. There's a lot more costs involved in moving to Google Kubernetes uh, than just that. Yeah, I, <laughs> so. I I really feel like this is going to hurt them a lot. Well, I mean, Amazon is going to – I mean, if Amazon is spiteful and petty and Azure is as well, they will use this as Google increases your prices or kills your service. They've just given them two bullets to fire at Google uh, in a very competitive market. So I don't, I don't think it's a good call. Someone, some, I actually wouldn't be surprised if this doesn't get walked back by the next time we record because uh, there's a lot of noise on uh, Twitter, cloud Twitter.
0: Yeah, well, one of the, one of the – the biggest concerns I hear from financial people when talking about moving to the cloud is, well, what if they raise prices? What if they raise prices? You know, we've, we've been in there for two years. What if they double the price of the service? Well, they've, they've Google just realized the biggest concern that any finance, any CFO has, has got about migrating to the cloud and having no control once you've, once you've moved there. So this is, this is a terrible, terrible decision.
1: Oh yeah. And and now, you know, apparently, if you're talking about Kubernetes with Google solutions engineers, they, they strongly recommend multiple clusters. They recommend regional clusters. Um, and so, you know, now you only get one zonal, one for free. And the architecture you've been recommending to all your customers is is regional and multiples. Uh, that's a big problem <laughs> because now I'm paying a lot of money for Kubernetes clusters that I didn't have to pay for before. Uh, and, yeah, I think from a financial perspective, that's a, that's a challenge. Oh, even drug dealers give you the first one for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to uh, happier news, uh, Jonathan. I don't know what you've done. Uh, Azure has listened to you again and decided that they also are going to support risk processor chips, which was your prediction again. Yep. By uh, making a partnership with Skytap uh, for the new Skytap on Azure service, which allows you to run IBM Power Nine PCs in the Azure cloud. IBM Power9 servers on the Azure Data Center directly integrate with the Azure network and enable Skytap to provide their platform with minimal connectivity latency to Azure native services, and this is available in the East US Azure region, and will soon expand to Europe and APAC. Uh, so there you go, another risk chip in the cloud. Another, two for and two. Yeah, another
0: IBM chip as well.
1: Well, yeah, IBM the only who's really making a risk chip that's not, you know, it's well known. Let's put it that yeah. way.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 it's, it's a slight problem because I, I, there's still sort of catching up to do around um, security tools especially which are not available for the risk platforms and so i think for, for limited use cases this is going to be this is going to be great uh, for, for, for migrations from from uh, legacy systems this is going to be really great but i don't think we're going to see much
2: adoption of this as, as a like a the general workhorse for a few more years yet do you think it's a few more years, or is this like a mitigation for migration that it'll it'll actually decline over time?
0: I don't know. It's I mean, from the from the provider's perspective, this is probably cheaper than um, x eighty six based ships to run. They're, they're they're lower power and better performing, you know, cost wise. So I, I don't know. I, it's who knows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you're so I, good at predictions. I figure I'd, I'd make you go out on a
1: limb. I mean, I don't know that the power nine is really a thing that a lot of Microsoft shops are doing. So it is a little bit of an interesting choice by Azure to do this partnership. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It it might be a big deal. Well, uh, as Azure likes to do, they summarize all of their billing updates into one lo- one lovely monthly update, which saves us from talking about it every week here on the Cloud Pod. The, uh, so they have their February update, and they've announced several new cost management and billing updates to the Azure platform. Uh, the first one is a new Power BI reports for Azure reservations and hybrid benefits. Uh, this new dashboard makes it easy to see coverage for your reservations and hybrid workloads. Uh, they have now have faster access to help and support via their help menu. <laughs> uh, really. <laughs> It's yeah, F, really. F1 for help. It's always been F1 for help. Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, they are seeking feedback from you if you're an Azure customer uh, and they have a new survey that they'd like you to go to. They have a three new cost management labs. Uh, these labs are sneak peek previews of features coming to the cost analysis capabilities. Uh, the first one is five built-in views to help you get started understanding and drilling into your costs. Uh, the next one is more details in the cost by resource view and explain what not applicable means, which apparently is something you might see in your bill. Uh, there are some changes coming occurring to Autodesk Arnold service meter IDs. I don't know what that is. And if you do, I'm sure you care. And then there's several new e-learning videos, including optimizing your spend with Azure cost management, Azure machine learning data sets for reducing your storage costs, and plus the new Azure cost management plus billing YouTube channel, uh, and lots and lots of documentation updates. So uh, check those out on the cost management side of Azure.
2: A lot of me wants to make a joke about that billing YouTube channel, but... Then the practical side of me says we should probably go watch that YouTube channel.
1: <laughs> there might be some interesting stuff there. If you're, uh, you know, yeah. most cost off stuff is the same across the clouds. And then just when you get into the mechanisms of how you do it, those are where the differences kind of play out.
0: Yeah, stop wasting money. Stop oversizing things that you don't need, yeah. and turn things yeah. off when you don't use, when you're not using them. It's. Uh, I think my dad's been saying the same thing for a long time. Turn off a light, kid. Turn <laughs> off a light. Stop heating the outside. Shut the
1: window. It's like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> same concept you didn't listen to your dad either and that's why everyone's cloud bills are out of control Yeah, it sounds like
0: this and I wish I'd listened to what my mother said when I was young what What did she well, say Jonathan I don't know
1: she, I wasn't listening
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: lovely
0: lovely but right. that's like best best hitchhiker's guide to galaxy joke ever nice <laughs>
1: Well, the, uh, the most vexing problem of every system admin in every corporate IT office has maybe been fixed with the most innovative feature released by the Microsoft Office 365 Cloud printing. <laughs> <laughs> The new Universal Print Service is a new service from Azure, now in private preview. It allows printers to be registered with Azure AD, so users can print to them via the cloud and cloud services. The Universal Print moves key Windows Server print functionalities to Office 365, so organizations no longer need an on-premises print server and do not need to install printer drivers on devices. Uh printers will either support the Universal Print natively, uh through partnerships with Canon and others that are meant in, in the specialties or via a universal print connector box, uh which you then get a troubleshoot as it is as technically your new print server. But that's okay. It's still a dream that we can all aspire to I,
0: I gotta laugh so much at this. Google Cloud Print was released nine years ago and they just killed it because it wasn't successful
1: <laughs> just a few weeks yeah. before. So it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's actually hilarious because in the register article about this, they actually talk about the Google print thing. And they said that, you know, Google recommended that you, uh, here it is. Google has, has a cloud print service, which it is abandoning. Having said, we recommend that you find an alternative print solution and migrate your print services by the end of 2020. Well, there you go. Azure just filled the gap. So you're welcome.
2: <laughs> what a strange world we live in where it's, <laughs> you know, you have to connect to the, a cloud service to print things.
1: Well, I can't, I can't wait for, you know, the Internet's down, and so I can't print sure. as, the, as a help desk ticket. Well, I can't open the help desk ticket either because it's on service now, which is a SaaS service. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to go home.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's it's... still a lot of small businesses who've got print, specific print servers attached to, you know, HP laser printers or whatever, they, whatever they've got deployed there. But, I mean, it, there's, there's so much consumer hardware you can buy. Like even Netgear Wi-Fi devices, have USB sockets now and you can plug them into a printer and you can share things natively over a network. So I, I don't know. just just definitely not innovation.
1: Well, moving on to the lightning round. So uh, Ryan, we've uh, made some changes to the lightning round since you last visited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've made them much more like weekend update. Uh, and while we discussed last week that we, we're not going to do this format anymore because it's a lot more work for us. Uh, we have decided that it's actually a fantastic opportunity for guest hosts uh, because we don't have to score it this way. And so you are now going to be enjoying the joy that is the weekend update version of the lightning round every time you're on hosting. And the scored version will continue to be when Peter, Jonathan, and I are here uh, so we can you know, have a score between just, uh, Jonathan and I, which we're still tied 2-2 at this moment. Oh, it is the best of both worlds. I love it. Yeah, so that's how we, uh, I think we've rationalized this out that, you know, why we like this format, it is a bit difficult for us to do every week. And so we will save it for when we have a guest host. Unless, of course, we require a guest host 10 minutes before the show records, then I don't know what we're going to do then. But we'll figure it out. We'll we'll make it work. (laughs) The content will just go down in quality. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I have the first one this week, so I will kick us off. And we will go through this. Uh, When we go through these, you will get to your name and you'll read your your joke or not. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Amazon Connect announces per second billing, saving customers up to 5% in telephony costs. Uh, but for people who talk f- as fast as I do, it can be closer to 7% savings. And Amazon friend and family rates do apply. Telephony.
0: <laughs> Is it telephony or telephony?
1: Yes, it. it uh, teleph- telephony. telephony. I don't know. Go with that. Oh, that's, that's fine. What, which one's funnier, I think, is the question. Telephony. Mm-hmm. Telephony sounds funnier. It's obviously funnier. Right now.
0: Amazon MSK <laughs> can now stream broker logs to CloudWatch Logs, S3, or Amazon Elasticsearch Service. And the Kinesis team said, but Andy, we already did all these things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Azure has released virtual network service endpoint policies. Clearly, the Azure contest to find the most nondescriptive name possible is heating up. I suppose it's too much to ask for any relation to what the service does to be
1: included in the name. (laughs) Azure Load Balancer now. TCP resets on idle timeout uh, is now available for you. This is in addition to non-idle timeouts. And please, God, don't sever my WebSocket timeout.
0: (laughs) Amazon LightSail now supports resource monitoring, alarming, and notifications. Gone are the days of, hey, boss, I provisioned this new website with LightSail.
1: Great, Jonathan. How's it running? I actually
2: have no way to find out, Justin. (laughs) Nice. Amazon Connect now makes it easier to customize the caller experience by adding attributes to existing contact flow blocks. Press 1 for English, press 2 for Spanish, plus 3 to modify the metadata on your contact flow block. 999. Operator.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I would like to speak to a human, please. Amazon FSx now enables you to create and use file systems in a shared Amazon Virtual Private Cloud, or VPC. Hey, Ryan, I think we could solve our multi-account shared password file problem with this. Excellent.
0: You can now automate index management with Amazon Elasticsearch service, which seems like something I thought I
2: got out of the box with Elasticsearch. You can now build k-nearest-neighbor similarity search engine with Amazon Elasticsearch. I'm so glad this will let me find the nearest neighborhood circle k.
1: Amazon Neptune has refreshed the console experience to simplify the management of your database. Finally, a console redesign I won't complain about because I can't compare it to the old one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who know the largest secrets out there, the existence of UFOs, Bigfoot the death of Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein, you can now store those much larger size secrets in AWS Secrets Manager. And there are even higher request rates for Get Secret Value API. Because what's better than a secret? One that you can shout out to the world
1: much faster. There you go. That is it for the lightning round this week. Do I still get to win? Uh, no, you don't. That's oh. the, that's the, uh, I mean, you win in the fact that you made it through the lightning round and didn't <laughs> mess it up so many times. <laughs> I see. So
0: we're all winners we're all here. Winners, so we all get Indeed. a participation prize. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I, I have a mini. Justin does a it thing. It's not completed, so I'm going I'm to give you my first attempt at upgrading the the CloudPod website. So I think we talked on the show three or four weeks ago that Amazon is going to deprecate Amazon Linux one. Of course, when I built the container host that runs the CloudPod website and of other websites that I run, it's on Amazon Linux one, which means I have to now update Amazon Linux one to Amazon Linux two. And so this began with a very fun evening at the office drinking. We're waiting for Jonathan's car to be towed, which is a whole different story.
2: <laughs> but I... I be on the Jonathan does a thing.
1: Yeah, that'll be on. <laughs> Jonathan does a thing. But, uh, you know, so basically, I, you know, while we were there at the office enjoying uh, some tasty beverages, I decided I would, you know, update my code. And so, of course, it's Terraform pre.012. And so I have to upgrade that. And, you know, I have all kinds of issues where it wants to potentially delete all the data for the website. Uh, So, you know, we never get past the plan stage. And I said, I will fix this. So I, I got basically during that activity, I got us all the way through. I'm not deleting objects I shouldn't delete. But then I was like, I'll do it on Friday night in a maintenance window because, you know, people like to download a show during the day. I shouldn't do it during the day. So it comes to Friday night. I go, I do my Terraform apply, get the same results. Everything's good. Hit run. Applies perfectly, beautifully. And I go to myself, I'm a Terraform god. I've figured this out. I've written Terraform code that has executed on my first apply attempt. I'm very happy with myself. I watch the server die. I watch the new server come up. I watch it register with uh, ECS, and all looks good. I see the containers start up, and I can't get to the websites. (laughs) And I go, well, that's not good. (laughs) And so I basically begin several hours of troubleshooting and troubleshooting, and troubleshooting. And I think I've come down to the conclusion that uh, the issue is that I'm using an Nginx proxy called, uh, it was Nginx proxy if you're looking for it, but it's, it's made by Jay Wilder. Uh, and basically what it does is it monitors the Docker host and then basically automatically configures the Nginx proxy to route the traffic that comes in from the website into the different containers. And so for whatever reason, it can't see what those containers are, which is actually tied to an ECS defect where ECS changed the way that they Had modified the output of the Docker file and he doesn't support that. And so there's a big, it's a big kerfuffle. And so uh, I end up rolling back to the prior version of the container. So I'm back to an unsupported version of Amazon Linux from 2018, which makes me super unhappy. And now I am rewriting my entire deployment orchestration in Terraform, which I will talk about on a future show. Uh, And that has not been as successful yet. But I'm now creating a test environment because that's the right way to do it. I'm like doing it in prod as I did, uh, as doing it in prod is never good. And uh, I will contend back with a part two, hopefully, on Amazon Linux, two, sometime in the future. Uh, but to, it would seem like a very simple just update the AMI um, is not the case. So there you go.
2: I get a lot of e- email from the, the Kubernetes fans out there. because oh, This yeah. is a lot simpler.
1: Is it? Is it, though? Like, <laughs> I mean, they don't. They Once don't know Kubernetes my, is up, it's simpler. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know my hatred for YAML. So, <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's their first failure. That uh, is true. Know because uh, I really don't like AML. Uh So that's my, my big Achilles heel of Kubernetes. And then uh, if I was going to go Kubernetes, then I would just move the website to Google, and that's a whole different activity that I don't have time for anytime soon. Before, I mean, this, this image is going to become unsupported in December. For me to learn Kubernetes at the level required to make my website not be a nightmare to support and maintain it will take longer than December, I think.
0: Well, I'm going to gently segue from Justin does a thing to Justin made me do a goddamn thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I have a new favorite segment.
0: So I had some really fun times. Hang on, I'm going to take a drink. Really fun times with PowerShell this week, trying to debug a SSM automation document. So I, I've really enjoyed getting into SSM and building some automation to to do some stuff in a very interesting Rube Goldberg way, but it's been a really good learning experience until I got to this time when I needed to reboot this Windows, Windows host partway through document. We're going to rename the machine, reboot it, join the main, reboot it, do some other stuff, reboot it, because this is Windows after all. And the, the AWS documentation says it's easy. All you got to do is do exit with this, with this particular code, and the SSM agent will automatically reboot the instance for you. Boom, cool. sounds great. Tried it, didn't work. Contact support, not a great deal of help. Finally, realize after two and a half days of kind of screwing about with PowerShell that uh, exit codes aren't very predictable. Depending on how you call the script, and, and of course I have no control over how SSM calls the script or how anybody else calls the script so I'm going to be writing for this you know if you use exit with a number it might work or it might not work it might return a number or it might return a boolean or it might not return anything at all and then there's this extra function which is kind of come from nowhere set should exit which sounds like an amazing uh, thing
2: yeah could be my band set should
0: exit that would be an awesome band name. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so long, boring story short, the way uh, PowerShell returns error codes or exit codes varies depending on how you actually call PowerShell in the first place, which is very difficult to figure out from within the running script. And so I'm just going to kind of mark this as risky tech debt and assume that SSM will never change the way they call my PowerShell documents and kind of hard-code this thing in, but I shall be submitting my ticket to AWS to get the documentation fixed and do a huge public service to anybody else so they don't have to go through the same nonsense as me. What could
2: possibly go wrong? (laughs) Sounds, Sounds like a solid plan to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that you didn't know that Windows exit codes are very problematic to begin with is just shows how much you don't do with Windows. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I will tell you, that's not a PowerShell issue. That's been a problem since batch files. Uh, so, I think
2: when we talk about Justin being
1: a mean person full
2: of spite and hatred, I think it's largely because he started on Windows. It, it is, yes.
1: <laughs> and then I, and then I found the the right way, the light side of the dark. You know, no longer getting
0: somebody else to do the work for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes that works too. Get into management—that's the second solution. I'm not so sure about that.
0: <laughs> I think retirement sounds like the best
2: option for me. But.
1: <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Ryan, for joining us here on the Cloud Pod. We always like having you. Oh, here.
2: happy to be here. Thank you. Uh,
1: and uh, you know, if you if people still follow you and still message me, I might still send them a sticker. But uh, the if all of a sudden, in, you know, six more weeks from now, and everyone's going through their back catalog of CloudPod episodes, we're like, "Oh my god, I missed it! I want it! I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll make you judge it uh, when you they follow you if you feel they're worthy of stickers or not." Oh, oh. I mean, the problem is going to be I have I I just ordered five hundred stickers for the Amazon Summit and for Google Cloud Next and all these things that people want stickers at, and then the events are getting canceled. So hopefully, I I, I don't have just have a thousand stickers I can't do anything with. Well, virtual <laughs> stickers are a lot cheaper to mail. <laughs> That is that is true. That is true. And we were we we're trying to get our new you know our new lambda spackle stickers for you know for these events too and that kind of stuff. So we will hopefully get those soon enough out there in the world.
0: That's a very passive aggressive way of telling me to hurry up in making the lambda spackle sticker, <laughs>
1: Justin. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say you had. You were late. I didn't say that. I didn't say you late. I just reminded you in public. <laughs> I mean, you'll cut it out of the show. It's fine. <laughs> All right, Ryan, Uh, where would they like to follow you on Twitter if they would like to follow you and join the 25 Orion Faithful?
2: Uh, I am still at at RYRON01 on Twitter um, and basically nowhere else. I'm still looking for my first post since we kicked this all off, so I'll have to come up with something exciting and entertaining. And my large following will probably still continue to wait. Or
1: they'll, or they'll unfollow you immediately, one of the two. That would be the smarter choice. Yeah, as soon as, they get the, as, soon as that sticker arrives in the mail, I expect yeah. them to just un- unsubscribe.
2: I will keep you up to date because that would be hilarious, and I would love to report we, that back. Yeah, like, it's... these smart people. <laughs> this is Twitter we're talking about, right? You
0: just, yeah, just have to be a little right.
1: bit
2: self-righteous. you f-
1: yeah, right <laughs> <in. laughs> Well, we'll see you next week here at the Cloud Pod. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Ryan. I don't know how to close.
2: <laughs> goodbyes <is> bye
1: effective <laughs> yeah. Faber locked you're, you're still recovering from that lightning round I know it's hard it is hard but it's it awesome was, yeah. it, it comes out really well but it, it's very difficult on our side yeah. and poor Jonathan has to edit it so yeah I demand a raise okay <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> double your salary absolutely and that is the weekend cloud We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Blue Medora. Check out our website, the home of the CloudPod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, send feedback, or ask questions at thecloudpod.net, or tweet us at hashtag thecloudpod.